Cheers Cast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Well, well, what do we have here? Hi, Dave Richards, an old teammate of Sam's. Oh, Diane Chambers. I'm Sam's new waitress. Mm-hmm. Sam have his brand on you yet? Hardly. Oh, well, good. Then you're uh, in for a lucky day. Not only am I incredibly good looking, I'm also incredibly rich and incredibly nice. And incredibly married. <laughs> You are? Yes. I was hoping to reject you based solely on your personality. (laughs) Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Welcome back for another episode of Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and my guest for this episode is the host of the movie review podcast, Is It Jaws? And one of the co-hosts of Back to the Bins and Listen to the Prophets, all of which can be found on the Two True Freaks Network. You know who I'm talking about. It's Mr. Paul Spataro. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks, Ryan. I'm here at the Cheerscast <laughs> to discuss an episode. Why is that? What's wrong with his voice? <laughs> Foreshadowing what we're going to be talking about, uh, which is the fourth episode of Cheers, which is titled Sam at Eleven. Um, but before we get to that, Paul, what is your Cheers story? When did you discover the show? I was kind of along with Cheers the whole ride. I remember, you know, when it came on, I don't think I saw the pilot episode when it first aired, but by the time we got to Sam at 11, I was already watching it. Okay. And, you know, it, it, to me, it was pretty much the, you know, it's not this far from the same story, but it, it, it was almost a follow up to me, uh, in quality or in tone to taxi, which I always really liked, but it's the same to me. It had the same kind of tone. You had the, the ensemble cast all in one central location 99% of the time. Same type of humor involved in many ways. That was a show I really liked a lot. And it, it had, I believe it also had the Thursday night airtime, if I remember correctly. And this, you know, this was kind of the start of NBC's must-see TV lineup on Thursday nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and this is the, in the era of, of VCRs, not DVRs or DVD players. Uh, so, you know, I got into it early on. And this was one of the shows where if I was going to be out, which at that point I was at an age where I was out frequently, I'd set the timer and I'd watch the episodes. And I I loved the show pretty much from the beginning. Uh, Of late, for whatever reason, I've been putting together my list of like top sitcoms of all time. Uh, And for some reason, I I tend to skew a little older. Uh, My favorite show of all time is The Odd Couple. Hmm. I love uh, the old, really old Abbott and Costello show. But, you know, Seinfeld is on my list. Uh, This is definitely in my top 10 of all time. I'm not sure if it gets as high as the top five, but even top 10 is 
you know, we're talking high quality here as far as I'm concerned. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I have said repeatedly that it's it's my favorite show, which is why I'm doing this. Um, did you stick with it throughout the length of its run? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was – to me, the, the show was amazing that it was not only so adaptable. You know, the first major loss was when we lost Coach and we mm-hmm. replaced him with Woody and then later on losing Diane and replacing her with Rebecca. Uh, but the show just kind of wouldn't lose a beat. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there, there were stretches where it was like, oh, you know, who's better? Oh, no, you know, whoever's on now is the best. <laughs> but then when you look back at some of the older episodes, it's like, well, you know, they, they were really great even then. So it, it's – it, to me, that's that's almost the sign of how good the show was. It's like whichever episode I'm watching today, that's my favorite one. <laughs> which is which is very what the higher compliment can you pay to the show? Then, then yeah. So um, awesome, awesome, very cool. Um, well, uh, yeah. As we mentioned, we are covering episode four from the first season, which is called Sam at Eleven. This episode was written by the series creators Glenn and Les Charles, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, October 21st, 1982. Dave Richards, one of Sam's old teammates and now a local sportscaster, comes to Cheers to interview Sam. Diane is the only one in the bar who cautions Sam against doing the interview, claiming that retired athletes who try to recount their old glory days often look even more washed up. Despite Diane's warnings, Sam agrees to the interview, and he begins to tell Dave about the time he saved both ends of a doubleheader against the Orioles. Dave ends the interview abruptly when he learns the volatile tennis star John McEnroe is available, a juicier interview prospect than Sam. Later on, in the pool room, Diane tries to console the depressed Sam. In response to her compassion, Sam tries to kiss her, but she flips him over the pool table, a self-defense maneuver she picked up in school. Sam apologizes for making a move on Diane and insists that he never thought about it before. She asks him to finish telling his baseball story, even though she is woefully ignorant of the basic elements of the game. And that, basically, is Sam at 11. So, Paul, what did you think of this episode? I thought this was great. Mm. I, I really enjoyed this. This, You know, it's early on. Sometimes with early episodes, it takes a little while for them to get their legs up. And, and I mean, I, every show has that. I don't think there's any show that, that is is immune to that. But you could see, first of all, you know, James Burroughs, who directed this, is probably the preeminent sitcom director of all time. Uh, you know, he he would go on these things. He would direct them, and and it was almost like he was like a hit machine. Mm-hmm. And apparent apparently, he uh, I had only, had only heard this recently that he had. Uh, a big thing about directing pilots of shows because if you direct the pilot, you're entitled to a higher uh, royalty or something, something to that effect. And because of his reputation, they wanted him to direct pilots because that would generally create a, a more of a buzz around the episode when it aired and they'd get that initial viewership and it would give them a chance to succeed. Um, and, and like I said, you know, there's always a, a stretch where they're trying to get their legs. But you could see on this show, especially in this episode, they're developing the personalities. They're developing the characters. They're keeping them from being two-dimensional right off the bat. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're giving Sam, in this episode in particular, giving Sam and Diane some depth. And that's something that you didn't always see in sitcoms. A lot of sitcoms, they were, you know, cookie-cutter characters. And some of those are great and they're hilarious, but they don't have the legs that a show like this did where they could go on for year after year. And I think that that's probably owing a little bit to the fact that it was the Charles brothers who wrote this one. Um, you know, this was the first one that they wrote after the pilot. 
when you know they they really probably had a, a much better handle on these characters um, because in the previous episodes, especially in episode three, you see characters like Norm or Carla might be acting a little bit atypical from the kind of standard that we recognize as what Norm and Carla would be like throughout the main life of the show. Um, but yeah, in this one, everybody seems like they're on point and you really get that sense. And we are really cultivating who Sam is now. We have seen, we have heard that he is a retired, you know, ball player, that he had this, you know, struggles with alcoholism and that he's, you know, chasing women. But for the first time, we're really kind of, you know, plumbing the depths of what it, what his, you know, celebrity meant for the city. Um, and how much he misses it and how easy it is for him to get sucked back into those memories. And when it's kind of dashed, it hits him hard. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, just talking about or thinking about his baseball career, which you know is obviously the background that they give you on the show. I, I try, I am a big baseball fan in general. So I'm trying to like put it in perspective. Uh, as far as I can recall, I don't think they ever said anything about Sam playing for anyone, but the Red Sox. I think he played his entire career with the Sox. And this episode takes place in October of 1982, and as far as I know, everything is supposed to be contemporary to when it aired. I don't mm-hmm. think there was any any sort of time change. And they say he was out of baseball for five years. They specifically say yep. that in the episode. So that would have meant he, he retired in 1977, which would mean he was on the Red Sox team that went to the World Series in 75. You know, the way they make it sound – in the earlier episodes, that's one thing where I think they did change. In the earlier episodes, I think they make him sound like he was a more effective relief pitcher than in the later episodes. They talk about a lot more of his failures as mm-hmm. a relief pitcher, which it's not necessarily inconsistent. It's just a different angle on it. Yeah. Uh, but but like I said, I, I just find it fascinating too. Is they gave him enough of a real background to try and you know put him into position with you know what the team was doing at that time, and I've been to Boston. And I've gone to Red Sox games at Fenway Park, and the fans there are extremely dedicated. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> so they they would you know they would embrace a local bar owner in Boston mm-hmm. who played for the Sox for you know he talked about a game. I think the game he talked about was in '72, the the doubleheader that he was talking about mm-hmm. with the Orioles. And if that's the case, that means he was on the team at least five years. Yeah. So you know he would he would be remembered by a lot of the uh, the local patrons. Uh, that's that's the only, maybe the only thing about the show that probably isn't necessarily accurate is I think they would have a bigger clientele of people who were interested in coming just because Sam was a famous baseball player. Yeah, that's perhaps true. Yeah, I think I yeah the later episodes they you're right when they when they kind of focus on his baseball career they tend to spotlight more of his his failures in his career and maybe I mean. I'll have to pay more attention to it when we get to some of those episodes because they might focus more on when his drinking really affected his play, uh, and it might be the the fact that like the, you know the last couple of years was really screwing up his his uh, you know his 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 game, um, and and maybe earlier on like when he's talking like the story that he's talking in question in in seventy two he might have been you know a much more effective you know player and and had more of that. Um, I, I would think so. Yeah. Uh, at least that's. But you know, it's it's nice. Again, I don't think they necessarily contradict anything they mm-hmm. say. I yeah. think they just change the focus a little bit. Yeah, yeah I just as you mentioned it, I, it struck me. I was like, yeah, Fenway is one of four professional ballparks that I've been to. Um, mm-hmm. I've been to Wrigley in, in Chicago, and so you've been to the two most you know famous old ones. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I've been to both of those as well. Yeah, and then. 
oh, gosh, I don't I don't even remember what they call the the field where the White Sox play now. It used to be Comitsky Park, and then yeah, they no, changed no, it's it. Got some corporate sponsor. Yeah, it's some corporate like. sponsor. And then um, the uh, the Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. Uh, but yeah, uh, so you know, getting back to like other elements of the story, there's there's one part, a notable appearance that I left off of my recap. This episode is the first appearance of Harry the Hat, played by Harry Anderson, the the late Harry Anderson who just passed away uh, recently at the time that we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, who's a, you know a great character, and uh, like you mentioned, the sort of must see Thursday night lineup, and for me that included Night Court. You know, that was yeah. one of the signature shows that I always watched. And I mentioned this previously that for me, that, that Thursday night lineup was really sort of in the mid to late 80s when it was Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, and Night Court. Those back to back to back to back. Yeah, um, I always thought of his appearances on Cheers as kind of his triad. His beta. <laughs> yeah, it's the beta. It's, yeah, it's his triad. Cause, and I think he's probably playing the character most too true to himself because he started out as like a sleight of hand stage magician uh, comedian. Yeah, I kind of wish the scams he had run in this particular episode were just a little better. Yeah. Like, they they didn't seem like something, you know, I mean, I know they, they present Coach as being, you know, not particularly intelligent, <laughs> right. to, to say the least. Uh, so he would fall for a scam, but the scam seemed so obvious. It seemed like something out of, you know, a vaudeville show a little bit. Right. Uh, that that I, I think they could have gone more clever. And that the floating uh, coin thing that he does with Norm uh, – you know, it's funny, it's amusing, but you do have to suspend a little bit of disbelief because I don't think Norm would fall for that. I think right, it's a little, right. just a little too. You know, yeah, with, actually, with coach, me, yeah, me, with coach, he runs a short change routine. Which, okay, with coach's level of intelligence, you can you can kind of see him falling for something like that. But with Norm, the the whole trick, the way he wins the bet is is talking Norm into changing sides in the bet. And, if and, and you know what? Was... I'm okay with that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Ryan. Yeah. I'm okay with the fact that he fooled Norm by fast talking him. Yeah. But what should have happened is when he did do what he did, he should have said to Norm, "So now you got to give me, you know, you got to give me the five dollars or whatever." And Norm should have said, "Why you couldn't hold it up?" Yes, you bet me that I, you know, you you bet me that if I couldn't hold it up, you'd give me five dollars. And then he should have grudgingly given him the five dollars. Instead, they have Norm like laughing, like, ah, "Yeah, you just got five dollars." Yeah, yeah. And then he realizes how stupid he was. Like, right. you know what I mean? That's that's the only aspect of it that didn't ring true to me. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, the the delivery there of like the. Norm was fooled for too long. Like once, once he he fell for it, he should have he should have realized it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, he should have been um, like, oh damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's and as soon as we see him, he is a known customer. Sam and Coach, they they know who he is, and and Sam instantly doesn't trust him. Um, but yeah, the, the Harry will will become a a character who comes back from time to time and uh, a sort of beloved uh, side character from the show. Um, speaking of characters, we, we also get another uh, somewhat recurring character. He comes back a few times in the life of the show. Dave Richards, a former teammate of Sam's, uh, former chaser of women with Sam, too, uh, played by Fred Dreyer, um, probably best known for playing Hunter on TV for years and years. Yeah. And what's notable, and Rob Kelly brought this up when we did the we talked about the pilot episode, Fred Dreyer auditioned for the part of Sam. Mm-hmm. And how different the show would have been if he had gotten that part. Um, well, you know, you know, and I, I know Fred Dreyer from his Hunter days, and then I, you know, I kind of found out after that I hadn't realized he had been a professional football player. Apparently, quite a good football player. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew him. I always saw him in Hunter as kind of a TV Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of that was that would be the way I would have described him. And to see him do the comedy as he does in the show. 
I, I you know, I kind of get a kick out of it, and it would be interesting to see how he did Sam. But I think he, you know, it would have been a very different show. But I don't think it necessarily would have been a bad show. I don't think casting him would have been a real negative necessarily. The delivery that I enjoyed most. And I don't want to get into the whole joke because we're going to discuss some of the jokes later. <laughs> yep. But when the the joke, the thing I opened up the show with, when uh, Diane interrupts him, and then he just turns to Sam and says, "Now I got to start all over again." <laughs> the delivery of that line I thought was just so well timed and played. It was yeah. whiny, and it it just showed like the lack of intelligence that the guy had. <laughs> no, I I completely agree, and I'm right with you. And that was the thing when I was rewatching it for this, like for the first time, I was like, he's got a really funny performance in this episode, and he is not an actor I think of as a comedian because of like, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think of him as a TV Clint Eastwood. That's that's the perfect way I would put it. But I was like, yeah, he's funny in this, and I think you're right, like. Because the character of Sam, as they describe it, was originally envisioned to be a former football player. He was an ex-football player. So they were going for something. They wanted him to be a little bit more of a Stanley Kowalski type of character um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of had that in mind. It was only when they knew that they wanted to cast Ted Danson, they're like, they're not going to believe he's a football player. we got to change it. And they made him a baseball player in response to the casting, which I think is a brilliant decision on their part. And he certainly, Ted Danson, looks much more like a former baseball player mm-hmm. than a former football player. Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely think the, the Sam and Diane dynamic would have been very different if you had a football player type of, you know, more – Brutish, I guess, uh, piggish. And, and I guess that's where you got to wonder if they would have been successful if had he gotten the role. Because, yes, he could do comedy. I think that came, mm-hmm. that comes out to us very clear. But Ted Danson and uh, Shelley Long had tremendous chemistry. Right. right. Would he have had that chemistry with her? Probably to not imagine. to the extent. Yeah. I mean, it's you know to to think that you're gonna do you just by chance have another guy who has that good of a chemistry. I mean, that's. That's among the best chemistry I've ever seen between two romantic leads, uh, you know, in a will they or won't they. Offhand, the only other one that comes close to it I'm thinking of is Moonlighting. Yeah. So, so you know, to think that, oh, and this guy would have had been just as good, that's hard to say. Right, right. And their chemistry is on full display in this episode because, like, the last half of the show is just the two of them alone in the back of the bar when they're being vulnerable. And it's – one of the things that I knew might become an issue – with this, uh, the the podcast, I knew that sort of thinking about Sam's womanizing and his relationship with women, looking at that in 2018 and beyond, and our sort of modern context, like, how is his behavior going to play? Is it going to be hard to like this character with kind of new, more woke eyes towards, you know, gender dynamics, and especially considering he's her boss? Um, and things like that. And I was like, is this going to be tired? But I think, I think he, he he's always kind of slipping by because you know, with Sam, it's never coming from a, a in it's always coming from a place of love and and you know endearing, and he's not trying to hurt anybody. He want he takes these women out because he wants to have fun and things like that. But yeah, there's I, never, I don't there's never anything trying... right. There's never anything predatory or sinister about his motivations yeah. of getting women. And I think yeah, I don't that, think he's ever trying to harass her. Right. He's, He's trying to make her want to enjoy herself with him. Right, right. So when we get to the moment when she's talking and he he kisses her and he goes for it, it's like, okay, yep, inappropriate, completely wrong. But I think the level of her reaction, which is to kick his ass, basically, and flip him over onto the pool table very quickly and violently, is so much over the top that it's like, okay, yeah, that's what he deserved. 
That's right. So it kind and that's of, one of the it, reasons why you you accept Sam's womanizing towards her. Yes, yeah. It's because you never ever feel like she's the defenseless employee, uh, you know, uh, damsel in distress who can't defend herself. Right. You never ever feel that she's not on equal footing with him. Exactly. Exactly. And he would never corner her and like put her job or her safety in jeopardy. Um, and yeah, so it, it totally it comes out and just yeah, you know that she can handle herself intellectually but also in this case physically which is a great sort of release for that tension in the moment Um, and the thing the thing that just stands out when you talk about the chemistry between these two is these two rather is you you know you could tell how they're two people from two totally different worlds but you could also see that they are and why they are attracted to each other and that they're trying to resist that to some extent mm-hmm. and it's it's only when they you know at least at this point in the show it's only when they give in to that that lack of resistance that they get into something that they don't want to be doing right i think the first season of this show is them fighting their urge to be together and then once they get, once they get together the rest of like the next couple seasons is them trying to change the other person to be more like them and resisting their their having to change so no yeah it's a it's a great little thing between them at the end um I, and i like even like their their flirtation even before that which comes across as just very casual and you it it's not again it's not sleazy it's not sinister it's not predatory because when she comes into the bar in the beginning of the episode when she's running late and she apologizes to Sam she's like i'm sorry i'm late is there anything i can do to make it up to you and he just kind of gives her this cocky smile and he says yeah but you wouldn't <laughs> uh, and it, it's like just it wonderful and you get it from again in a real life context it's like yeah you can't say that but it, it plays off and it's it works and it's it's funny um and, and you that, also have carla to kind of take her down a peg all the mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. and and carla is also one of the through lines to taxi for me because mm-hmm. you know she played xena on taxi <laughs> and she was married to danny devito at that time <laughs> yeah. uh and she, I mean, Zena is such a different character from Carla that it's amusing in its own way because that's all I knew her as coming into this. I don't think I had ever seen her in anything except for Taxi. Mm-hmm. And and Zena, she's she's a I don't know I'm not sure how familiar you are with her on that, but she she was a love interest for Louis De Palma. Yeah, and okay. she was extremely quiet and soft spoken. And I think if I remember right, I think there's an episode of Cheers where she plays her own sister mm-hmm. and she plays her sister that way but inside of that there's a you know a smoldering volcano <laughs> yep. uh and and it's just it's fun to see that and she she's just a terrific comic actress in her own way and has you know really really good timing a lot of times and i think you'll see this as the show goes on a lot of times they didn't give her the funniest lines but she delivers them in a way where it still commands a laugh <laughs> and and you know hats off to her for that yeah, some of her lines were kind of obvious once in a while. Yeah, especially early on. Like I think uh, we've mentioned, like Carla is one of the characters that they. It takes a little bit longer for them to find their equilibrium with the character. Um, and as Omar and I discussed back in episode three, in some of these early episodes in particular, Carla still has a shred of hope about her life. And I think <laughs> later on. Carla gets to the point where she has no more hope. It's just bitterness and gall, and that's that's kind of the Carla that we know and love. But yeah, she still yeah she still has to to do a lot with very little in some of these episodes, and she can deliver the lines really well. Um, looking at just rounding out some of the other cast members that we get, um, I, I love Coach doesn't have a whole lot, but I love his moment when he gets a call from his friend Walt, who is having an operation tomorrow, and, and Coach kind of blows it because he lets slip that he knows his prognosis was bad. He's talking about he's like, I didn't want to say anything before your operation, but I really didn't like your chances going in. He's like, 
oh, it's tomorrow. <laughs> and that's a tough, another tough joke to deliver. And he does it tremendously. Yeah, he does. That's that's one of the highlights of this episode is that little that little soliloquy that he gives on the telephone. Uh, you know, it's almost reminiscent of of a Bob Newhart phone skit because that was one of the, one of his specialties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so hard to sit there and do a one sided conversation where you have to repeat what you're told so that the audience knows what the other guy is saying because that's just not natural. People don't speak that way. Yeah. Yeah, but right. he did it. He did it really well. He was Nicholas Colasanto was a, also another. I mean, they really, really did a great job of putting together this cast. And then everybody that they add to it just fits in so seamlessly. Obviously, we're not going into any of them today. Mm-hmm. But the show just, you know, it was almost like it was great from the start and it got better. No, oh, it is incredible the way, like the way they seamlessly added characters that never felt jarring or. Uh, clunky or awkward. They just did such a good job, even when they were forced to by tragic circumstance, as we will see, as, as you mentioned, when Nikki Calasato dies and they have to replace him. They just, they, they managed to do it with such grace and they pull it off. Um, and then you have some minor, you know, extremely minor characters that I think they tested out and didn't really make it. And they just said, OK, that's fine. Like in this one, I don't even know what the character's name is. But the guy says, oh, I'd like to see myself on TV. Yeah. You know, he's kind of a nobody. And they, I think they kind of saw, OK, he's not clicking. He's out. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, yeah. We see him for a couple of episodes in these early years. But he yeah, he doesn't last. There's always a few sort of tertiary background characters in the bar. Um, and, and, speaking, and he's so tertiary that yeah, it didn't yeah. matter that they got rid of him because they, I guess they gave him his tryout to see, yeah. are you going to be what we're looking for? And if you're not, we're just going to throw you by the curb. Yeah. If you are, then we'll expand your role. Speaking of that, did you catch which character is not in this episode? Uh, is Cliff not in it? Cliff is not in this episode. Because I wasn't sure if he was just kind of hanging on the other side of the bar and that I missed him. No, but, he yeah. doesn't. He does not appear, and this is uh, this answers a long question from that we've had in every one of these episodes. Because I understood that the only characters to appear in every episode of Cheers were Sam, Carla, and Norm, but IMDb credited John Ratzenberger with every episode of Cheers. So I knew when I started, I was like, okay, he's not in the main credits. He's not a full-time member of the cast in the first season. Maybe there's an episode or two that he's not in. And this is one of those cases. Cliff does not appear in this episode. And yet, John Ratzenberger is listed in the closing credits. It does say oh, yeah. John Ratzenberger is Cliff. So maybe, maybe he was supposed to be, maybe he was in a scene that got cut, for all we know. Um, or he was maybe he was sitting in the background, but they never actually showed him because uh, he doesn't. I think appear, as far as IMDb know. is concerned, if he was listed in the credits, if he's credited with yeah, being in he, it, he gets counts. it. But yeah, so and and maybe it was a contractual thing that he was, or maybe it was just an error. But he's listed in the credits, but he doesn't show up. So we know at least he doesn't appear in this episode. Yeah. Oh, just, I'm just looking through my notes as we're talking, yeah. and you know, we already talked about Fred Dreyer, and I just forgot to mention how much I enjoyed his jacket. <laughs> oh, I just, yeah. you know, it, it was already out of date by 1982. In <laughs> fact, it's probably more in style right now in 2018 than it was in, two, in 1982. Right. You, I mean, you talked about how much you love that when he's like, "Sam, I gotta start all over again." And I, uh, yeah. I love that I, delivery. I love also like when he first meets Diane when he's hitting on her and like, and and she's like, "No, I was," you know, and she, and she shuts him down. She was uh, when, she, yeah, because Sam says that he's married, and she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry to hear that." I was hoping to reject you solely on your personality. And she walks down the hall and he just kind of like gives her a second look and turns to Sam. He's like, too skinny. It's like, yeah. 
It's, it's it's terrific delivery and 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 again it just showed you her strength mm-hmm. that she's she's not going to be first of all she's not going to fall for something quite that superficial which is right. almost amusing because Sam is very often is presented as superficial but Eddie's even more superficial than Sam if anything mm-hmm. uh but you know that she she doesn't need anybody to defend her she's never going to be the damsel in distress uh which I guess we're going to talk about it the next time we talk right. a little bit <laughs> a couple but just the same she she's you know presented as just a strong character and you know i i I just love the way again you know so early in the run they already kind of developed that and they knew where they were going they must have written an extensive bible of the main characters yeah i i would think so um and yet, I mean, like Ted Danson has said, he didn't really have he he has said that he didn't really have a firm handle on who Sam was for the first year. But you wouldn't know it to watch the show because it seems like they they pretty much know it. But I don't know. I mean, maybe that's how effortlessly Shelley Long played it because she made it look really simple. And I, I also kind of like the way Shelley Long supports Sam in this episode. Mm-hmm. Her initial not wanting him to be in the interview is because she doesn't want him to look silly. Right. And then when he gets his ego crushed, she's the one who's going to come to him and... Uh, yeah, you know, and she's the one and, person and, who and saw this him. coming. Yeah. And, and, I, and I love the way she does it, too, because he's, he's just kind of saying, look, I don't want to... You know, I didn't get invited to the prom uh, story. Or, <laughs> no, it's not that. Or I don't want this. It's not that. Well, I definitely don't want an I wasn't elected cheerleader. <laughs> oh, well, if you're going to be like that about it... <laughs> <laughs> I was good. <laughs> I know. And so I, I all of a sudden, she went from defending his ego to her ego being. I know used. exactly. It's such a good switch. And then he, I just, I love his response to that. He's like, I just saw, you know, my dreams crushed. The last thing I need is a cheerleader right now. And it's just, yeah, it's such a good kind of quiet moment for that. But and then also, you, you know, I also just again, just a little emotional depth there. Keep these mm-hmm. from being two dimensional characters. At the end, when he says to her, "Tomorrow I'll deal with all of this," but today I just want to be angry. Yeah. You know, that's that's cool, and it's real. Yeah, it's a great human moment. It's like, yeah, everybody can relate to that. It's like, you'll get over this, but for right now, just, like, let him feel pissed off. Let him feel humiliated. Just, yeah, that's going to that's gonna keep him honest, yeah. Um, yeah, just, uh, I only have a few other notes. Um, further exploring Diane's education, because she's had so many majors in college. She's currently taking an art history class. Um, and another notable first, uh, this is the first time Norm's wife is named Vera, or mentioned by name. Uh, we've known that he was married since the first episode, but this is the first time she's named Vera. So. Okay, and Vera will be only seen kind of eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> only seen kind of, not not fully, uh, you know, revealed, but yeah. Um, Speaking of Norm, I forgot on the last episode, on episode three, to do Norm's tab. Uh, I didn't mention that he had two beers, at least, in the one episode, and possibly would have had a third drink bought for him um, by the guy, Fred, who comes in, um, but that wouldn't have gone on his tab. So I'm trying to keep this running total. In this episode, based on what we see him either start or finish with certain passages of time allowed, I'm saying he had four beers in this episode, which would bring his total for the first four episodes up to 13 for his tab. (laughs) (laughs) I remember seeing George went on... I believe it was the David Letterman show at that time. Mm -hmm. And he talked about, he says, you know, you weren't allowed to drink alcohol on film. So that that was, that was just not allowed. Uh, So what they had him drinking was something that they called near beer. (laughs) And he said, it does not taste like beer. And 
I have to drink a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of, you know, an amusing story. And, uh, you know, it's they they kind of, you know, his character is more two dimensional, at least early on, Mm -hmm. but in a very funny way. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do love the you know the introductions when he comes in and when they yell out Norm every time they you know they started on that very early yeah yeah and and you know again that goes to me to say that they had a Bible on these guys right from the start yeah probably um, last little note before we get into the uh, superlative categories uh, in the pool room during the final scene like written kind of scrawled on on the uh, the chalkboard it says welcome fighting double deuce. That is the name of an army unit that belongs to a soldier that we will see much later in the first season. The, uh, an old soldier kind of like comes in saying that he was part of the fight in Double Deuce. So I wonder if like where that name came from. If they just you know thought uh, thought of something and scrawled it on the wall and that that came back to them or or what was going on. But interesting that uh, that they have that mentioned here on the chalkboard and that that phrase that name of a of a unit will come back later on. Yeah, that's uh, you know what that's one I missed out. I didn't notice that, and uh, I'm, I'm going to give them credit. They were so well thought out on this stuff that I'm going to say that they were foreshadowing that and they knew that. Yeah. At the same time, I'm also giving them credit for being willing to make switches on the fly when they needed to. Mm-hmm. But to have something like that on the board in advance of the episode to me says they want to have something in there to say this is you know this this is an ongoing thing. Everything that goes on in this bar is ongoing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, let us get into our last two categories. First is the employee of the week. Paul, who did you think was the best performance or the funniest character of this episode? Uh, this time around, I, I I wanted to to make it a close race, but it really wasn't. I just think it was Diane by a mile. Yeah. I think I think she was the funniest. I think she had the chemistry with Sam. She had the personality. She had this, you know, everything about it. I think was just top notch. I, I think she was it in this episode. I, I she's so good, and and that's one of the things like. I can I can pretty reliably when I whenever I'm like just doing my notes for the episode whenever I'm kind of outlining it before I even watch the episode I can say Diane or Coach will be in the running in this category. <laughs> um, but this well, time Co- Coach is, Coach was the closest I could get in the running just based on that talk with Walt. Yeah, just the one little exchange. Yeah, a great little moment. Um, I also. God, I really like both of the guest stars in this one, and I, I think I might give it the edge to Harry the Hat because I think he's just a scene stealer in in all of these. So I, I really liked his performance the first time we see him. Um, I, I just thought that was a really memorable guest star, and the reason that they would bring him back. Um, well, I, and I also liked that we end the episode with Harry the Hat, but we're not focusing on him. Right. Just right. you just hear him talking. You don't know exactly what he's getting to. You know, you he's, know he's doing you another know. scam. Yeah. But you don't know what the scam is, and you don't have to know because <laughs> right, it's right. just. I, I I feel like the episode is saying to you know again what I talked we, we just talked about with the thing on the board. This is an ongoing story. This mm-hmm. isn't this isn't just one thing that happens here. This is something that's going on constantly. There's nothing you know. Nothing ends. Yeah. In, in other words, uh, so I, I, I like that, and I think Harry, you know, Harry's Harry Anderson, like so many of the people in the show, is just a very charismatic, compelling guy, mm-hmm. and and he's he's like the kind of guy, you know, you don't want him to scam you, but you almost want to you want to have him try and then <laughs> not be successful against you. Yeah, you don't want to lose your money to him, but you want to see how you could. <laughs> Yeah, see. exactly. You want to, you you want him to try, and you want to be smart enough to not have it happen. Right, right. Um, yeah. Okay. So the home run. What do you think was the best or funniest gag in the show? 
Well, I had the coach talk down. Was I had coaches? I had coached down twice for this because I, I these were the things I was thinking about. Was coach talking about uh, talking to Walt? Then when coach talks about uh, the home run, Sam gave up to Bobby Mercer. Yeah, I had that one too. That was my number one. And it's, it's like, like they're trying to decide what what kind of story Sam can tell for the interview. And coach is describing this time Sam pitched to Bobby Mercy, Mercer. And Sam's like, he hit a 400-foot home run off of me, coach. And coach goes, my God, it was the most exciting thing I ever saw. <laughs> Which I just thought was a great line. Yeah. Um, and I also had uh, – Diane's not getting not getting elected cheerleader story, yep. but I had to ultimately fall down on what is wrong with his voice. <laughs> that just cracks me up, and I and it's one of those ones that stayed with me. Yeah, like yeah. when when I'm not watching the show and I hear somebody talking with an affect, that I go right to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so uh, yeah, that was really really good. I I like when Diane after she flipped Sam over, she says that she learned in a self de- she learned self defense in a class called practical feminism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was a this was a really good episode. I really liked this one. And again, I think I think the writing was just a little bit stronger than previous ones because of the Charles brothers' involvement. Um, but yeah, it's, it's from the guest cast. Uh, just both of them from bringing very different energy, very different levels. But both Dave Richards and Harry the Hat, they're both great additions to this. But yeah, ultimately, just the interactions between Sam and Diane um, and what we learn about their characters and how they bang off of each other is just so good. So. Yes, pull back the curtain just a little bit is, uh, you know, you had put out that you were going to do this show and you talked about, you know, if people want to be on or, you know, all of that. And I, I, I wanted to message you and I was going to at some point, but thank, I was very thankful that you actually asked me to be on before I got around to asking you if I could be on. And, I was very happy that you picked this episode because yeah. I, I like this one a lot. I wasn't sure, you know, my my thought was going to be, "Hey, Ryan, I'd like to be on the show. Let me know what episode you could use me for." Uh, <laughs> and you picked one that I was very happy with. Yeah, well, happy to do it. Happy to have you on. Um, pulling back the curtain even a little bit further, folks. Paul will be back in the not too distant future on an episode that, eh, not quite as good. <laughs> not quite as good, but you know what? It's like certain things. Uh, I talk about Star Trek movies or James Bond movies or Beatles songs. Mm-hmm. Even the worst ones are still good. Yeah, and I, I, I come back to it. Like, the worst episodes of Cheers are still better than, you know, 90% of my other the other shows that I watch. So that's exactly. that's why I'm doing this show is because of the quality and how much I love this. So um, there, there were very few clunkers. And right. off the top of my head, I can't even think of one where I'd say, oh, yeah, that was a bad one. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for showing your enthusiasm for the show and wanting to be on this. And um, I, we, I know for a fact you will be on in a couple of episodes from now, and hopefully you can come back more after that because it's great talking about these these episodes with somebody who really, really appreciates them like I do. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I'm glad you asked me, and uh, I will do everything to be available when you can use me. Fantastic. Great to hear it. And uh, that will bring us to our last call Paul, where else can people find you online and what other podcasts can they find you on? As a general rule, you can find me on twotruefreaks.com where I am either the host or co-host of three separate shows. I am the co-host of Back to the Bins where we review old comics. I am the co-host of Listen to the Prophets, where we are doing an episode-by-episode review. Hmm, that's an interesting format, huh? Of Deep Space Nine. And I am the main host with a different guest host every episode of Is It Yours, the movie review program. 
All right. Thank you very much, Paul, for being on the show. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. As always, you know you can support the show on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can leave a comment on the post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Until next episode, we're closed. This could be a crucial moment in your life. It is vitally important that you handle your emotions properly. The worst thing that anyone in a situation like this could do right now is to repress his feelings. Diane, get out, please. You need to lash out, to release yourself. Scream. Get out! Wonderful. All right, now. (laughs) We need now to move away from the brute gut release of emotions into the more cerebral. Tell me in one sentence what you perceive to be your problem right now. You won't leave. Let's come back to that. Other people have been through what you're feeling. Even in a slightly different way, myself. Would you... uh, Would you like me to share an experience from my life when I was horribly defeated and humiliated? (laughs) Diane, I I don't want to hear a lead in a high school play story. Oh, it's not a lead in the high school play story. I don't want to hear a I didn't get asked out for the junior prom story. It's not an I didn't get asked out for the junior prom story. Well, I sure as hell don't want to hear a I didn't get elected cheerleader story. Okay, if you're just going to make a big joke about it. Sam, I was terrific. Look, what happened to me today put a period at the end of my career. The last thing I need is a cheerleader right now.